I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. You ask a narcissistic person, are you empathic? They're like, I'm the greatest person oh. ever. I'm so empathic. So you I'm just got empath. that question. Right? No one's ever been right? more empathic yes, in the history indeed. of the world. Right. Welcome back to Dear Shandy, listeners. Hello, Andy. Hello. How are you today? I'm tingling with excitement. <laughs> Me too. It's a tingly day mm-hmm. because this day, I honestly think, has been like two years coming. Oh, yeah. I'm not kidding. Our podcast, by the time this episode comes out, our podcast will be nearly three years old. And I've always known that narcissism was a topic we wanted to cover. You know, we are a relationship podcast. It felt like a gaping hole. You would call it like the last collector's card, Andy. That's it. But we needed the right guest for the occasion. Mm -hmm. So we today are joined by a licensed clinical psychologist. She is the author of several books, including Should I Stay or Should I Go? Surviving a Relationship with a Narcissist. Narcissist and Don't You Know Who I Am, How to Stay Sane in an Era of Narcissism, Entitlement, and Incivility. Her work has been featured on TEDx, Red Table Talk, The Today Show, among others. Her massive YouTube channel at Dr. Romani, which guides those healing from narcissistic relationships, has a whopping 1.38 million subscribers. And of course, her new podcast, Navigating Narcissism, focuses on narcissism and its impact on relationships. I mean, need I say more? She <laughs> is you. abundantly qualified. We found our match. Yeah, we did. So we're so excited, Dr. Romani, that you could join us today. Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you. Know- you. Oh, you know, whenever we have a hot topic guest on like yourself, we poll our listeners, we call them our shandies, and we ask them for any questions and we put together these common themes or threads to ask you in our conversation. And I'm going to just say it, you Mm -hmm. know, we've done countless hot topics at this point and the number of questions we got for narcissism blew every other hot topic out of the water. Yep. You seem unsurprised. Yeah, I, it doesn't surprise me. It's it's unfortunate. I think that it is. It's one of those topics where it's the thing that takes people to the internet at three in the morning, where people are like, "What <laughs> is happening in my life?" And I think that there's a lot of confusion about it because there's sort of yeah. such an unclear definition out of it in the public world. These are people who love themselves, and it's not that. It's something very different, and it's kind of subtle. And so I think that there's so much misunderstanding, and people say, "Well, this person's narcissistic," but are they? And they feel terrible, and they want to keep the relationship going. So it doesn't surprise me at all. Mm. So hopefully we can clear some of that up today. Perfect. So this actually did come up. A lot of what I'm asking you today was I'm the messenger. We are Mm -hmm. the messenger. Could we get a clinical definition of narcissism Mm. just so we're all on the same Mm -hmm. page today? So narcissism is a personality style. It's not a personality disorder. It's a style. It's not even a diagnosis. We all have personalities. You, the two of you have a personality. I have a personality. Every human being has one. Some people are narcissistic. The narcissistic personality is consisted of, is, is comprised of a person who has very inconsistent and shallow empathy. They're deeply entitled. They're arrogant. They're 
controlling. They seek admiration and validation. They're egocentric. They are, um, but they're also very insecure. And all of this stuff around them, the selfishness, the entitlement, the grandiosity, all of that, it's almost like a suit of armor against this really deep core insecurity. They're very sensitive to criticism, sensitive to feedback. They can be very, can feel very hypocritical. One set of rules for them, one set of rules for everybody else. They will feel deeply jealous of a partner, but won't understand why a partner is bothered by their inappropriate behavior. So it's a, it's just, it's a person who is, very unpleasant to be in a relationship, mostly because they are so selfish, so entitled, so unempathic, and they're constantly shifting blame onto the other person. They don't take responsibility. They don't take accountability. So it's a very one-sided relationship model, but that's the personality. Ooh. Interesting. And is there any time where narcissism becomes a, sorry, you called it a, a personality, what? Style. A, a personality style, style mm -hmm. as opposed to a disorder. Is there yeah. any level of narcissism? Like yeah. the term malignant narcissism has been thrown around a lot. Is there a, is there a point where on the spectrum of narcissism, you mm -hmm. become a disorder? Well, let's start with what you're talking about, the spectrum of narcissism, right? I think that's what we have to remember is narcissism is on a spectrum. At mm -hmm. the mildest level of narcissism, we're kind of talking about someone who's sort of annoying and vapid and superficial. I call them your Instagram narcissist. Mm -hmm. These are the people who care how many followers they have, how many likes. Why didn't anyone like my breakfast picture? They, they will put tremendous amounts of time, for example, into their appearance to get validation. But there's, a, there's very little depth to them. However, they may not be as sort of cruel, as we might see farther along the spectrum, you use the word malignant narcissism. People could argue that that's probably the most severe form of narcissism, where we see more exploitation and coercion. These are people, this is the time we might see narcissism turns into something more dangerous, maybe even violent. Okay, mm -hmm. so we have a spectrum. Most folks are in the middle, what we call either grandiose or vulnerable narcissism. Grandiose is your standard, you know, look at me, I'm so great, aren't I the mm -hmm. best, I'm the guy, narcissism. Vulnerable narcissism is more of a sullen, anxious, victimized, everyone's out to get me, nobody sees how great I am, life mm -hmm. isn't fair to me, narcissism. When does it become a disorder? Honestly, when a person with this personality style shows up in a licensed therapist's office who spends enough time with them to determine that these patterns are consistent and issues a diagnosis. So there's a lot of folks out there who are narcissistic who probably meet the diagnostic criteria for narcissistic personality disorder. You need to have five out of nine patterns on a list of nine. So nine, you got a five, and then you have to have what we call social and occupational impairment or social or occupational impairment, meaning that the person is clearly having problems in their relationships or their work life that they kind of recognize, or they have to have what we call a sense of subjective distress, which is a fancy way of saying they're not feeling great. The, here's the problem. A lot of narcissistic folks, when they do go to therapy, they're going to therapy because they are depressed or their relationship blew up or they're struggling with addiction. So the therapist focuses on that other thing. And mm -hmm. they don't get to this narcissism piece and issue that diagnosis. So, but it's dangerous to float it as a diagnosis. 
I don't like the diagnosis. If I ran the world, I'd get rid of it. I don't think we get anything from it. Most of these folks don't end up in therapy when they do. It's for something else. Mm -hmm. And and then it takes this word, which is actually a very useful word when used correctly, narcissism. And I got to tell you, I get tens of tons of blowback. You're such a terrible, horrible psychologist. How dare you you go after people with a diagnosis? I said, yo, I'm not going after people with a diagnosis. I'm talking about people with a personality style. I'm introverted. That's my personality. Come at me if you want, oh. but that's my style. So, Good. you know, and I can't change that. And the narcissists aren't going to change either. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people come at us for yeah. using the word narcissism incorrectly. And sometimes I think that those people are narcissists. <laughs> Many times they are. They yeah. really, really are. Uh. They are because it's or or they're just or they're they're sort of they don't get it. Like they, they, you know, it's like half knowledge is more dangerous than none at all. Sure. So they, it's that, that's why people come at it. They think it's a clinical term. It's absolutely not. Like I said, I have an introverted personality. That's not a clinical term. It's my personality. There are people with agreeable personalities or people with conscientious personalities. It's just a personality. It just happens that it's a personality style that's not very pleasant. And we think it's a bad word, but I got to tell you, narcissistic people make more money. They're more likely to be represented in leadership. So they're doing mighty fine. Hmm, mm. Interesting. So is the narcissism a, like, is it a genetic disorder? Is it a behavioral? Is it like an environmental disorder? Is because it, I know psychosis, you know, psychotic behavior, schizophrenic behavior, those kind of diagnoses are genetic based pretty much. So, so is narcissism, like when narcissism becomes really bad and malignant, and we all have seen that, and it's terrible, is that something that's mixed with these other disorders, like, you know, mm -hmm. psychotic behaviors? No, it's just narcissism. So people are born with a temperament. Our temperament is sort of the biological part of our personality. If you, you have parents, if you ask your parents, what was I like as a baby? They'll tell you, you were a sweet baby. You were an easy to soothe baby. You were a laughing baby. Some babies are difficult babies. They're difficult mm -hmm. to soothe. They're like, they're just very resistant to it. And they start to become more demanding children. They are more, uh, they jump up all over the place. They're constantly inattentive. They're getting into trouble. They're behaviorally sort of all over the, all over the map. They're just, they're not easy children. Right. And if you know what happens to not easy children, the adults around them don't like them. Even if they're not bad parents. Oh. Again, if you've spent enough time with kids, those sweeties, you can sit on the ground, play shoots and ladders with them all day, all night. But that difficult kid who's jumping up and down, disrupting a classroom, making it more difficult for a parent to make dinner, that child is consistently going to get the message of sit down, stop that. Oh my gosh, you're a handful. Why can't you be more like your sister? Years and years and years of that, that temperament comes up against a lot of invalidation. Mm -hmm. It's very likely that the mix of that temperament, that I'm going to call it a difficult temperament for lack of a better term, that that difficult temperament that comes up against a, a, uh, an environment that invalidates them. That's one way to create a narcissist. So it's not really wow. genetic other than the art, because there's plenty of people with difficult temperaments who don't go on to become narcissistic. And there's right. some people with good temperaments who do. So it's not, that's not a slam dunk. But we also have seen research where kids who are sort of, sort of overparented and never are made to experience disappointment and are told that they're more special than any other child. And you're so special and you're exceptional and special, special, special. Those kids are also vulnerable to narcissism too. So I, I often think of it as there's the overindulged path to narcissism, sort of the spoiled child narcissism. And then there's more of the traumatic, neglected, chaotic, 
you basically suck kid narcissism. Those kids in that, that you suck kid narcissism, they tend to become more of the victimized, resentful narcissist. And if there's enough abuse in there, they probably become malignant narcissists. Ah, those overindulged, spoiled kid narcissists, those probably tend to become more of our grandiose narcissists. Though those spoiled kids, they learn pretty quick that they actually don't have the goods. So they start growing up into the real world Parents are telling them, you're the most special. You're the greatest. You're the best. They're not. Then we see this failure to launch. And then they start feeling resentful and sullen too. Oh, so, so it's a little bit, yeah, it's, it's, it's failure to launch is very much that kind of overindulged child and the um, not given tools to regulate. Narcissistic kids aren't told how to manage their moods. They kind of get to run roughshod. Many times it's because the parents just aren't tuned in. The parents might be narcissistic too. Wow, that's so interesting. So it's, it's really there's a seed of genetics and the temperament. Possibly in some cases. And that, yeah. and that grows sometimes mm -hmm. into yeah, a malignancy that's more it's, of an environmental impact. Yeah. And it's why you see in one family, there could be three siblings, and one of the siblings is actually quite narcissistic. The other two aren't, and they had mm. the same parents, and the conditions right. were pretty similar. But if you ask that parent, and I've had the opportunity to do that more than a few times, the parent will say, this was my handful kid. We, we did our best with him. But then you got to remember this, even if the parents are hitting their marks with that tough kid, the schools are never going to hit it. You know, they're just too disruptive. And so that's what I'm saying is that unless those parents can really channel that kid into something and be that consistent space. And, you know, I've even seen some cases of adult narcissistic folks and they actually had really nice parents and it was it was a nice run for them. So there is while pro from a probability standpoint, like you're betting this like a horse race, we can pretty much work back these stories and mm -hmm. figure out what costs, like I can look at a narcissistic client and say, I get where this came from. But it is always more interesting when I work with a client who has a very narcissistic sibling and they are not, and they had mm -hmm. very similar upbringings, it definitely boils down to temperament. Interesting. Mm. That's fascinating. Well, that is so fascinating. Yeah. It's actually, this is already so different than I expected, mm -hmm. which is exciting. <laughs> I love surprises because I really thought it was like a disorder. Yeah. And, you know, you have to be careful. Well, that, that's my next question. You know, sometimes we'll, you know, we'll casually in this day and age call someone a narcissist or, you know, we'll throw the word around. How wrong is it to throw the word around? And in general, do you think it's currently a trend to mm -hmm. misdiagnose? I, I don't hesitate to use that word now, but it's what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> Plain old bad behavior as narcissism. Or do you think they're more one and the same? The word is so tricky, right? It's a, to me, it's a great word because it's descriptive of something really nuanced. That said, the more people throw this word around, it actually diminishes the experience of people who are actually going through real narcissistic abuse, meaning that there are people out there in these narcissistic relationships, and it is brutal. It is brutal to be married to someone like this. It's brutal to be raised by someone like this. It's brutal to have to work for a long time with someone like this, right? Mm. And so when they hear that some fool on Instagram is yammering on about narcissism, and it's because their boyfriend didn't get them the right flowers for Valentine's Day, <laughs> it creates a lot of confusion. So this idea that somebody showed up late to your wedding, you're a narcissist. Hmm. I don't know that that's true. However, 
If you show me, I would have to say, okay, let's sit down for about 20 minutes here. Tell me their pattern of behavior with you. Tell me how they've always been. Maybe this person has been late to everything. Maybe this person didn't RSVP. Maybe this person has been consistent on consistently unempathic and they're like this with everybody. You know, one event doesn't a narcissist make. A person cheats on you doesn't mean they're a narcissist. Could mean they're a jerk, could mean they're careless. It may not mean they're narcissistic. It's a deep word and it carries a lot of heft. So you need to know what it means. Most people don't. And so so is it just bad behavior? No. And I will often, for example, let me give you the example of someone who's going through a divorce, right? So they have to talk to lawyers about this or judges or mediators. I always say to them, the one word you're not going to say is narcissism because it puts people on their back foot. The judges say, oh, you shouldn't say that. You're not a blah, 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 blah. And so I said, we're going to work around this. Focus on the behavior. Focus on the dysregulated anger. Focus on the not showing up. Focus on the not following through on responsibilities. Focus on the behaviors. So when somebody says to me, my mom's narcissistic, I won't doubt them. I'll say, tell me about your mom. And then in a pretty short conversation, we'll be able to see that, yeah, this is a consistent enough pattern it tracks. Mm. Okay, so then what percentage, I don't know, this is maybe a tough question to answer, what percentage then would you say of the population is actually on the narcissism spectrum? So here's what we know. When it comes to diagnosed narcissistic abuse, the existing research, and this is probably about 20, 30 studies I'm talking about, if we take a look at all those studies, somewhere between three and 6% is the percentage of people across a variety of research studies that have been diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder in the population. Now, I think that's an underestimate because these folks aren't, first of all, narcissistic people often don't cop to it. They think they're mm. really empathic. If you ask a narcissistic person, are you empathic? They're like, I'm the greatest person oh. ever. So Oh, empathic. So you just got that question. No one's ever been more empathic in the history of the world. Right. Than me. So you, it's hard to measure it, but if I, I'm giving you a spitball, this is a Romani spitball. And so I'm acknowledging it as such. If I were to come up with a number and I think people in the field would agree with me, I think in terms of narcissism, that's going to be a problem for other people. Like it would be hard to work with this person. They wouldn't be a good parent. They'd be a terrible partner, somewhere between 20 and 25%. So I'd say around one in five. So that wow. means if you know five people, probably one of them's narcissistic. Wow. It's a shooting gallery. <laughs> I mean, roulette. isn't it? But, but take Let a minute. Roll. Think of yeah. five people, you know, or 10 people, you know, at least you, at least one of them, you'll be like, yeah. Honestly, I, that tracks with my personal experience. Like if I go out on a random night and meet a bunch of people, it does feel that way. But then, you know, it's, it's like me to be like, oh, well, maybe it was just a bad night. Maybe they just weren't comfortable, all these things. But I have to admit, yeah. it does feel that way. It does. And I, mm -hmm. having a little more time experience than you, I have noticed a shift where I see that a lot more now. And I've chalked it up to social media. There's just a lot more inward, like vanity, like more like the classic Greek mythology, like narcissist, just looking at your reflection, falling in love with it. But, you know, I I never thought that, oh, wow, the a big portion of the population is more narcissistic now than they used to be. But it feels that way to me, like deeply. Well, I'm going to be frank with you. I don't think they're more narcissistic than they used to be. I think that people have always been narcissistic. I don't disagree with you, Andy, that some people have become social media has taken something. 
and it's pulled the top off. I, I I'm old. I'm way older than you guys. And so I will I remember when I was my kids were young at the time and somebody told me about this thing called Facebook it was 2007, 2008 mm-hmm. and and they and I had just begun my academic program of research on narcissism, right? And they're like you should look at this thing. Like it's you put up your picture and you can share stuff that's happening in your life, right? I'm like, "What?" So I I was a person who actually also had a BlackBerry for a year and didn't know what texting is and then I opened it up one day I was like oh what could this be so but I um I looked at it and I will never I, I was at the time I was married and living in the home and where my ex and I lived and I will never forget this moment I remember putting my head in my hands and I almost wanted to cry and I'm like oh my god mm-hmm. this is a disaster yeah. and the disaster was born out like from the minute I saw it I thought oh my god it used to be that if for a narcissistic person to get validation they had to leave the house. Yeah. yeah. They had to get up, get so dressed, true. go to a party, go to a work, go to a ball game, go to the golf course, go to church, but they had to leave the house. So they were the, the you you your your sort of validation web was a lot smaller. Mm. Yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, these people could just do this from the comfort of their home. And it's borne out. And oh, so yeah. what it's done is it's taken that more superficial piece, that especially that validation seeking piece, and it has blown it up and it's turned it bit literally into a business model, right? Narcissistic right. people are doing great in this new economy because they're so good at drawing attention to them and they don't get tired of it. In fact, they get exhausted. They don't get attention. But all of that said, there, I do believe that narcissism has been a thing since there have been people. There's a great book by a guy named Robert Sapolsky, who is a neuroscientist from Stanford. He wrote a book called Behave. And what I love about his book is he gives a history of aggression. And you look at his book, there's always been narcissistic people since there were hunters and gatherers. The hunters were more narcissistic than the gatherers. And mm-hmm. so it was a... We've always had the alpha. We're a primate species. There's always been a jerk. And the jerk tends to be the one who's sort of at the top of the food chain. Primates have the equivalent of narcissists in them, though they don't have It's a different model because they have different brains. But this is partly who we are. I have to say, though, the industrial revolution, so probably the last two, three hundred years, I'd say made this worse. And then social media was it sort yeah. of put the rocket. I, I, I feel what, it, what really what it boils down to is I find that the narcissists of today are far more annoying than the narcissists <laughs> I knew 25 years ago. And I and I mean yeah. that in, in all seriousness, like they're just mm-hmm. annoying. Mm-hmm. It's a deeply mm-hmm. and it's different than it used to be. It used to be I was like, oh, you're a dick. You're mm-hmm. a jerk. And you're probably going to end up running a big company one day. But now it's like, ugh, it's like this like ick. Like, yeah. how mm. can you wake up in the morning and be yourself? Well, That's the difference. Especially when it is so immediately validated by so many. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They, they can walk mm. around with pride. They're like, oh, look at me. I've got 500 people who agree with me online. Yeah. I can just really embrace my shittiness. Yeah. In the old days, people were like, you know, got a little <laughs> negative feedback when they went out in public. You're right. Yeah. That I agree with. I think that it is more unfettered and there's more places they can create audiences. There's also more places they create menace. The research is pretty clear. Internet Internet trolls, almost without exception, are always yeah. narcissistic, mm-hmm. right? So they have also these places to air their grievances, sometimes in horrific ways. Yeah. And so it's it's an interesting way you put it, because I actually agree with that. They are more annoying because they're more amplified, right. but they've always been around. And I think that it is. And and the other thing that's happening is it's 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 re- rewarded. It's reinforced. If you're narcissistic now, you're turning into a big brand. You're making mm-hmm. a lot of money. So they're getting more societal power. Mm. Right. Right. I remember in in my day, <laughs> I'm going to do this the whole episode. It's just yeah, to be yeah. me talking about when I was, yeah. you know, back in the 20s. 
But, you know, there was conspiracy theorists. And we were just like, oh, that's a whack job. Right. It's like a crazy person, flat earth people, you know? And now it's like there's conventions about this stuff. They can all hug and sing Kumbaya together and talk about how the earth is flat. That is wrong. (laughs) Right. But see, the thing, you're right, because the flat earth people couldn't find. There were always flat earthers, right? Right. But they were quiet. They were quiet because they had no one to talk to. And you're right. I agree with you. We raised a really important point was the social checks and balances are gone because you're right. Back in the day, the neighborhood would say, shh, Stop it. Yeah. The workplace would say, stop it. The family would say, stop it. But they're always going to be able to find supply. And that's how right. the narcissistic person, the air that they breathe is supply. It's validation and admiration and and people who, who agree with whatever nutty thing that they're saying, including I'm the greatest. Right. Mm. Okay. So could someone be narcissistic in some aspects of their lives, but not others? Or does it tend to... Not really. I mean, I think all we can all be performative at times. So you you ask a really interesting question though, because one of the big issues with narcissism is the capacity of the narcissistic person to wear different masks, which yeah. is why we've all been played by them. They're charming. They're charismatic. They're confident. They're smart. They may be incredibly interesting people, right? All of this this personality ickiness doesn't take away from the fact that these are sometimes really fascinating people for mm-hmm. a minute. But that mask can stay on long enough to draw people in, to convince people of their goodness, of their greatness, whatever. Then once they sort of, eh, they don't need you anymore, they're sort of bored of you, they know you're not going anywhere, the mask comes off. The more familiar you are with an, to a narcissist, the more likely you're going to see the terrible side of them. So that idea that they can be like this in some settings and not others, they're always narcissistic. But they know, but see, and this is, and this takes me to something that I think is going to be important for your listeners to know. A lot of people, and I'm going to, might be jumping to a question for you, but a lot of people ask me, can they help it? And I'm like, yes, they can, because let me give you an example, because I'm sure you've had this happen. Your narcissistic person could be a friend or a family member calls you. You're in the car. You catch them on speaker. Right. And they'll say, hey, hey, am I on speaker? You're in the car. Yeah. Uh, who, yeah who, anyone else with you? No. And then, boom, they'll come at you or they'll oh. do it in the car on the way home from the party. They know not to behave like that if there's going to be an audience because they're going to look bad. So that ability to know that they look bad to other people means this is under their control. So does that mean that they can cure it with the people that they feel comfortable with as well? Or does that just mean they know when to shut it off, but they're never going to change with the, their core behavior with people that they're, they know? They know to shut it off in groups. They know to shut it off in front of high status people. They know to shut it off. Like basically what they're doing is it's it's like it's a marketing job, right? They, right. they know how to put themselves forth and what they don't want everyone to think like this is a raging mean husband. They want people to think like, what a great guy. And then right. it's, again, I always call it the drive on the way home because you can't get out of a car either. So you get into the car. They've been the most most charming person at the party, you think you're going to have a nice drive home. And then they rail into that person for the entire drive home. And the person's thinking, charming person at dessert and what is happening? Mm. They don't need to have it uh, turn it on anymore. So it is in their control. They know how to show up where, where with whomever they need to show up in a certain way. It's under their control. But in your experience, have what is the likelihood of, of a narcissist, you know, someone who's far along the spectrum of actually changing that behavior when they're with someone they're familiar with? 
You mean like someone they don't like someone they they often do yell at, like you're saying exactly in the the situations where they are terrible narcissists, they don't they're not it's not curable, right? It's done. That's my experience. I wouldn't say curable. I'd say changeable. Right. Let's get away from the disease model. It's not changeable. You know why it's not changeable? I'll tell you why. I don't know the two of you well enough. I know me, so I'm using them as an example. I am very agreeable and I'm very introverted, right? So I'm very sweet and very nice and I hate leaving the house. I hate going to parties. I hate going to social events. I will not turn, (laughs) nothing in the world could turn me into a social butterfly, Mm. nothing. And so if I can't change, and I'm also very agreeable. So someone said, no, Romani, we need you to be unempathic. We need you to brag a lot. We need you to be a jerk and an asshole. We need that. We need you to do that. I throw <laughs> up in the first hour. I couldn't do it. So right. if I can't change my personality, and I'm actually a pretty flexible person, why would a narcissist be able to change their personality? Everyone mm-hmm. needs to sit with that question for a minute. Because yeah. that, you know, we can't change ours. Right. Why would they change theirs? And theirs is working for them. Yeah. And it's deeply seated in all this insecurity yeah. that they're not in touch with. So that's a long answer to your question of no, they won't yeah. change. It's the scorpion and frog. Classic. Yes, it is. It's a scorpion. And I, you have a frog. I have a swan. But yes. Oh, wait, what is that? I don't know that. <laughs> oh, the frog and scor- frog. The scorpion asked the frog to let him sit on his back and go across the river. And the frog's like, why would I do that? You're a scorpion. You're going to bite me. He's like, why would I bite you? If I bite you, I'm going to drown. Uh-huh. And the frog's like, yeah, that's a good point. And he lets him sit on his back. He bites him and they both drown. He's like, why'd you do that? He's like, I can't help myself. I'm a scorpion. <laughs> yeah. But how does the swan one work? Same well, the same story. Okay. Same story. But, <laughs> but in, in also my story, it's funny that they, you say they both drown. Your story is more depressing. In oh. my story, <laughs> the scorpion the scorpion gets to the other side and the swan doesn't die. So, oh, wow. Oh, oh, that's the children's book version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mine's more realistic. So <laughs> so that idea of turning it on and off and manipulating people, and it, they get ahead with it. This, this question came up a lot. The intent, how conscious is that? You know, when when they do turn off and and it's behooving them to do that, are they like I'm just curious if it's almost like instinct, how much is it in their brain? Like Mm -hmm. I'm doing this now. It is instinct. And and remember that they've created a reality where they genuinely believe other people are to blame. It's almost delusional, right? So you said, are they psychotic? They're right at the fence line, right? As a truly psychotic person is having a genuine break from reality. A narcissistic person is having a revisionist break from reality. They're just sort of crafting a reality that makes them feel better about themselves and the world. So their entire sense of self is around they have this, again, these arrogant defenses. So how intentional it is, obviously it's somewhat intentional because they know not to scream in front of the other people at the party or you know on in the car or something like that, like if they're on speaker. So they know to do that. But when they're yelling at the person, they don't think they're doing a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Right. See, that's the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They think it's warranted. How dare you make me look bad? What oh. kind of person makes a person look that bad? What were you thinking? I've been nothing but good to you. I have been such a good friend and you did that to me. If I really believe that, then I think I have every right in the world of yelling at right. you. Right. And you can't, you can't argue with them. There's no, no winning. You can't no even argument. win the tiniest right. point within yeah. the argument. Oh, even yeah, that awful. demo you just did gave me. Yeah. Yeah. Give me kind and, of the willies. And it's interesting what you mentioned about the they 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 know how to turn it on. I think one of the skills of a, a advanced level narcissist is that they can be extremely charismatic. Yeah. 
Um, yes. and, and in my life, I've, I've run into a couple of pretty rough ones and I was sold. Mm. I mean, I was hook, line, sinker, like, wow, this Charmed. is, I was like telling people, wow, this guy is amazing. And boom, they got me just when I sort of let them in. Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, it, it felt so calculated to the point where I almost felt like it was like, it was like a battle plan. Mm-hmm. It was very yeah. scary. Yeah. And it's not a battle plan. It is a, it's a dominance plan. Mm-hmm. They need to feel that they fully have dominated the other person. And it must be almost like a visceral reaction for them that they feel that the power is where it needs to be. And yeah. that's when they're no longer interested in you. Exactly. Oh. Oh. Do narcissists have any kind of moral compass, do you think? Or is it just self-interest? Is that the heart of it? A little bit. So here's the thing. They're not psychopathic, right? And there's a difference. Psychopathic people actually don't have a moral compass. Mm-hmm. Narcissistic people do know what the societal standards of right and wrong are. They really do. And here's the thing. When they break a rule, infidelity is a great example, right? That's often a violation of what's considered a moral standard in a society. They know it's not a good look. Now, they'll rationalize it. They'll play it down. It wasn't that a big deal. La, 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 da, 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 ba, ba, ba. But they know they did a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And what it brings up in them is shame because now people are Mm. going to see their badness. And when a narcissistic person feels shame, instead of processing it and being with it and understanding it from a lens of vulnerability, they attack. And so and other people are always bringing up shame in narcissistic people because the narcissistic person's insecure. So they think everyone else is is has got something they want, like he got a better car. She's got a better this. They've got a better that. So they really get caught up in that. So they're always kind of they're, they're always their fists are always up. They're always looking for a fight because they always feel shamed. But they do know what is right and wrong. And because they're so entitled what they'll do is they'll break those rules because they're like, this is a ridiculous rule or, you know, I, <laughs> I don't agree with this or th- that kind of thing. Or if they break the law, they will feel that they were entitled to break it. That's their specialness. Narcissistic people genuinely believe they're special. They're more special than everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Officer, I get that. But you know, like, listen, I, I live around here. I'm a busy mm. guy. The rules it's don't that. apply to me. The rules really, they'll never say that out loud, but they'll craft a narrative where that's the case, but they do. And now psychopathic people don't, they Mm. don't have any of that sense of morality. So when a narcissistic person does a bad thing, they feel bad, but they feel more bad. Not that I did a bad thing. This was terrible. I hurt someone. It's I did a bad thing and now people are going to see it and they're going to judge me. Interesting. Mm. She's more shame. shame. We talk about shame a lot here on yeah. Dear Shandy. Shame, shame <laughs> is what saves us from the worst of the narcissists. Again, yeah. shame to the rescue. I feel <laughs> I, we talk a lot about how shame is very powerful in human evolution mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and how it mm-hmm, stops mm-hmm. people from doing things that would yeah. collapse society. And I think in this case, thank God for shame. Otherwise, all these narcissists would be just running amok. <laughs> well, they are running. But my point is they are running amok and shame isn't doing enough. What ends up happening is that the shame is a dangerous thing in a narcissistic person because it leads them to attack more. That's mm. true, right? actually. Shame isn't yeah. stopping them. The shame, they're doing the bad things and then they're attacking people. Right. Yeah. So it actually it doesn't help. Making so things worse. My, my point was wrong. <laughs> I retract. <laughs> I still like shame though. It's still good. Shame's great. I mean, yeah. and shame, but you know, shame's actually, here's the thing with shame. 
is that it serves a social function, right? And that it is ideally what we do is we get away from shame and we get into self-awareness. It can, but we don't want people to spend too long in shame because shame leads to a lot of negative psychiatric outcomes, mm. anxiety, depression, grief, self-devaluation, and addiction. It pushes people darker and yeah. darker into the shadows. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I have two more questions on what I, the section I called the basics, and then we're going to get into relationships. <laughs> yeah, then we're going to get started. <laughs> <laughs> so this one came up a lot. Do narcissists know they're narcissists? And is it possible? Can they know? Some do. Some actually do. I've had clients. I remember a couple of clients who actually, when they came in to work with me in therapy, they're like, I am narcissistic and I know it. Right. Wow. And, you know, and so they knew it, they knew it. And, um, in, in, in each case, their self-aware narcissism came, became self-aware because they were getting into trouble. They mm. were caught in a, an affair. They were caught in a business scandal. And they could see how their hubris finally did them in and had caused harm to people they care they did care about narcissistic people can care about people not deeply but they'd see their children were shamed in school or employees who are counting on income now were in in trouble like there's mm. that brought up shame for them right it wasn't it wasn't even as much empathy as like oh i did a bad thing i'm the bad guy who left people unemployed so it, yes some people do get it um by and large, they don't. Narcissism is very much about lack of self-awareness, lack of something we call mentalization, the, the inability to create sort of a mental model of yourself, how you affect other people, or even what other people are going through. I'm curious, those, I mean, I don't know how much you can share, but the people that you've encountered who were able mm -hmm. to say, yes, I know I'm a narcissist, mm -hmm. was there ever any improving? Like, did the awareness lead to mm -hmm. something? Right. I'll give you an example. I'm just, you know, hiding enough of the details that, you know, I've worked with narcissistic clients where they were infidelity is often what brings them in. The, the partner will say, either you get therapy or we're definitely done. Right. And narcissistic people actually don't always want to get divorced. Some They want to get divorced when they've already found their new source of supply. But a lot of times they like the idea of having the family. They like, they like the look of it. Like they, they like the Christmas card of it all, right? Mm. The, the whole thing bores them to death, but they also grow their own supply, right? Narcissistic people don't tend to be interested in their kids for a little while, but then when their kids become adults, they're really interested in them again, because they're people to hang out with. And so, because kids are work, but you know, when your kids are adults, they can actually do stuff with you. So it's, I always view it as they're birthing their own next generation of supply. And if they give them enough money, time, attention, then they've got it. But all of that said is that with the, in these cases, when we really did the work and we talked about what it means to be an empathic person, what it means to show up as a whole person in a relationship. I do remember one person saying to me and saying to me, he's like, you're telling me that in order to be in, in order for this relationship thing to work, I've got to listen to somebody's problems. I have to care about their problems. I have to, if I'm in a good mood, I still have to listen to their problems and I have to do things I don't want to do. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the, the social code. He's like, okay, cool. You know, he's like, I'm, I've got to travel. I'm going to take a little time off. I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks, whatever. He, he's he's going to take a break from therapy for a week or two. He comes back and he's like, I filed for divorce and I, I split up with my mistress and I, I found something. He's like, I have someone I have a, like, I don't know what, what the politically correct term is for someone you pay to have sex with you. I don't think he even thinks it's sex worker. I don't know what that is. Transactional <laughs> sex person. I'm, I'm scared to say, like, I'm so, sure it'll be wrong. So, right, right. So it's a money, money sex person. I'm calling a transactional sex person. He found a person. He's like, I pay this person. 
gets me off about every other week. That's all I need. Leaves by 2 a.m. I don't want to wake up next to anyone. Was that a win? Was that good? <laughs> I think it was. I think I did good. Because what, what happened was, this right. is not a person who wants to hurt anyone, right? Yeah. Many, a lot of, I have to say, with my narcissistic clients, they weren't sadistic. They weren't setting out to hurt people, but they did not have the apparatus to not hurt people. Yes. And when they realized how high the burden was, right? If somebody said to me, oh, wait a minute, you're telling me to lose weight. I got to exercise five days a week and I got to stop eating fast food and I got to stop eating sugar. I'm like, yeah, they're like, let me get back to you. No, I'm not. And then I'm not going to lose. It's like, you're telling me this is what I need to do to lose weight. And if I keep doing what I'm doing, I can't lose weight. No, it's the same thing. This is it. And they'll, they're actually genuinely interested. So again, I've, I've had, I think that was a good, I think it's a good outcome when a person says, I can't, I don't want to. In this particular guy's case, he was a billionaire. And so he's like, I can buy and buy as many transactional sex people as I need. He had plenty of friends because people, he was incredibly interesting. I mean, I had to remind myself in the therapy sessions not to get lost in his amazing story. Fascinating, smart, talented, household name kind of person. And, but did not, did, but was like hell to the no. Oh, oh, I have a question based on that. I have to Let's call, let's call him for, for just for informational purposes, Jeff B. (laughs) Okay? And you know what? And I got free Amazon Prime for life. No, just <laughs> so I have to ask, based on your experience, do you think there's a correlation between narcissism and accumulating that level of wealth? Yes. Okay. I do not think it's possible for a billionaire to not be narcissistic. Our system is, n- you have to be shady to be a billionaire. <laughs> I totally right? agree. I've you said it for been many saying years. This for years. There's no yeah. way. The way the systems are set up, you can't accumulate that kind of wealth unless you inherited it. And that means you came from a shady parent. Right. <laughs> so you're probably shady too. <laughs> I love this woman. Yeah, me too. She speaks truth. You do speak a heavy truth. Okay, one more on the basics and we're going to move on. Just one quick one. Sorry. We Uh, knew this would be a lot of questions. Just just for my own curiosity. So there's like, there's really badly behaved dogs, right? And you have like the dog whisperer, whatever the guy's name is. What is it? Cesar Milan. Thank you. So is there a narcissist whisperer? Is there a way to beat them at their own game? Is there a strategy? Like if you really want, not that you should want to do this, but there is there a way to get them to kneel, to be to to just beat them? Not not in the long term. You can get what you need in the short term, but not in the long term. And I call it fluffing the narcissist, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully you've watched enough porn to know what that yes, is. So yeah. you, you know, you can you can be unctuous and and give them exactly what they want. And it won't always work. But mm-hmm. if you can really figure out sort of every narcissistic person has their Achilles heel. And if you can figure out that little psychological G-spot as it was, and you can hit it, <laughs> you can get yeah. anything you want from them, you know? And in many cases, it's very basic validation. I'm, you know, it's, but what? It's so, no, I've done this before. I, what I really want to be is the Dexter for narcissists. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I, I get it because I've lived in that Dexter space. It just doesn't feel good because I'm too agreeable for it. But I do yeah. think that you can do it, but it's never going to be a long game. Yeah. So it, it can only be a short-term get like, I need them to close this deal. Exactly. I need them to agree to X. Right. I need them to be cool for the course of this wedding so it doesn't ruin it for someone else, right? So you you, you can do things and get what you need. I need to be able to use the car tonight, whatever it is. It could even be something small. Yeah. 
you can't, it can't be a repeated play. And I think that it has been the kind of thing where I've worked with clients who have had, for example, they needed a narcissistic co-parent to agree to therapy for the kids. So they'd have to play that person's game for a minute to get that signature so their kids could go to therapy. Like we're not even talking about farcical sure. stuff. We're talking about heavy stuff. Minute, yeah. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah, and they yeah. can still play that, but it's hard to do and it doesn't last. And I think right. some people will do it to get a, a parent, like an older parent to give them a loan of money. The parents got loaded, the kid needs money. They're like, okay, I'm just gonna be really neat, nice to this horrific father and yeah. horrific father then may give them the money, whatever they need for something. Yeah. So billionaire. Yeah. Yeah, so father. basically <laughs> tell them exactly what they wanna hear times 10 and then try to slip in. Yeah. The thing yeah. I mean, it's a lot of, you're amazing. I learned so much from you. Like I view you as a mentor. I, I just, I wish I could be more like you, you know, you're anything to shore up that, that insecurity, right? Yeah. Because they're always suspicious. They're always looking for a fight, but you got to know you're a narcissist. I mean, right. they're, narcissistic people are very smart. They can tell yeah. when they're being played. And I think if we're talking about these billionaire narcissists, obviously they're surrounded by people like sure, that. Sure. So that's going to be a tougher, mm. tougher game, but in the ordinary narcissist, maybe the millionaire narcissist, I guess, <laughs> you can still have some motion in there. You can get you can get in there a little bit. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to relationships. We are a relationship podcast, mm -hmm. all sorts of relationships. We are. And this came up a lot. Obviously, I'm sure you've heard this a million times. You're dating someone new. What are the red flags? What should you look out for? So let's, you know what, I'm making this such an easy question. Shandy will be the one who gets to make the big points. Like, let's not talk about red flags anymore. Because you know what it does when we talk about red flags, we put the onus on the the, the person doing the dating. Like, they're like, what's happening? What's happening? And here's mm -hmm. the problem. I'll tell you why, why I'm sort of anti-red flag. I used to be very pro-red flag. Deeper I did this work, I was like, mm, this may not be great. I'll tell you why. Because the red flags are subtle. And the green flags are so many more of them than the, the so-called red flags. And what happens is I think on average, it takes a person really, unless the person's doing egregious things like, you know, taking them to a strip joint on their first date or something like really horrific or, you know, screaming racial epithets at a, a, a valet, like something so awful, it's unseeable. But if it's the, the seemingly normal person and it's subtle stuff, because it's subtle, and that's the key, the subtlety of it means it usually takes people almost a year Ooh. to figure out oh. if they were with a narcissistic person. You know, and I'm, I can't tell you, year is the magic number. And now I realize it. So here's the thing is that obviously you're going to pay attention to how they treat other people. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is don't make excuses for someone new. You know, mm -hmm. it's that that it's one of the tools I learned in graduate school, and it's something that's stuck with me ever since it was told to me, a supervisor said it to me. And, and what they had said was, the first time something happens in someone's life, it's an event, it's an experience. The second, or I should say a behavior. The first time someone does something, it's a behavior. The second time someone does something, it's a coincidence. The third time someone does something, it's a pattern. Mm -hmm. And at number three, you're like, okay, this is who this person is. So- on your first date, they may be late and they may be late because they literally say like, oh my God. And there was the terrible accident on the freeway and it's true. Okay. And from there on in, not only are they on time, they're early. It was a one-off, right? It may be a time where they, they say, I am so sorry, my sister's in labor. Do you mind if I keep my phone face up tonight? But then in all subsequent dates, they don't do that. So that thing that conceivably could be a red flag, phone is up or they're late one time. No, three times. Yeah. 
So yeah. that we're looking for patterns. And I think that the problem is, is too, that the patterns jump a little bit. The other problem too, is that we also have these, these kinds of things that don't often register for us because they happened to us before in our lives. Maybe parents were chronically invalidating. So maybe you had a parent that was would always deliver a zinger or be passive aggressive towards you. If that's something you've been indoctrinated in, this new person doing this, well, you won't even notice it. And a lot of people will say, you know why I got so deep into this narcissistic relationship? Because I was raised by one. So everything this person did was just dear old mom. Mm -hmm. And so you miss it. You know, you're almost like your 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 kind of your acuity to pick it up. You know, it's, it's just, it's not there and it's, and, and people make excuses and it's understandable because you're meeting someone because there's so much stuff you like. This could be a fascinating, interesting, attractive, fun person. You like the same things. You grew up near the same area, whatever it is. So a little bit of, you know, not always listening to you or being funny with their phone or um, being a little bit short with a server you might say, oh, God, this person's great. It's so hard to date. The rationalizations are always, those help people in these relationships. But other than the stuff like they're not really listening to you, they don't really ask you about you. They chronically are comparing you to other people. My ex this, you know, but how often do people really do that early on? I mean, it's well, not that common. Doesn't it behoove the successful narcissist to slow play his or her bad traits into the relationships? Like, isn't that their skill to like, it is their, it, you it don't is, notice it happening until yeah. you're in too deep. Mm -hmm. It is and it isn't. So they don't think that some of their bad traits are bad traits. Mm -hmm. So part of it is their bad traits have to seem bad to you. I hope that makes sense. So in other words, right. for some people, one person's bad trait is another person's dear old dad. So it's yeah. very, it's very familiar to them and they don't yeah. register it the same way. You also have that problem. So I would say the red flags are so subtle that what happens is a year or two out, people will see it a lot more clearly, right? Because they have all this other terrible stuff to pull yeah. on. They were, there was infidelity. There was um, constantly listening to their problems. They'd never listened to yours. There was, they devalue your friends, whatever the things were, but the person sees the red flags down the line. And then what happens is the person in the relationship says, I'm such a fool. Why didn't I see that? And the whole red flag conversation means this poor person who's already been hurt by this relationship is piling onto themselves. Mm. Mm. A quick question then based on that, do you therefore think people who were raised by narcissistic parents are more likely than people who weren't to end up in a relationship with someone who's a narcissist? Mm. I think people who are raised by narcissistic people are more likely to get stuck in the relationships. I think that everyone's attracted. These the narcissistic people are very attractive. Mm. They are charming and charismatic and successful and shiny, and they put a lot of work into their appearance and they know the right things to say. They're really good at emulating people, like really do, like paying attention to exactly what it is you want to hear or see. That's why narcissistic people are great salespeople. Mm -hmm. And so they have that capacity because they're doing it in a very transactional way. I think everybody is vulnerable. I think if a person had a narcissistic parent, they're more likely to get stuck for the longer term because the justifications, they'll come so much more easier to a person who was raised this way. Oh, they've already got that muscle built. Yeah. Yes, they yeah. Do. It's called, it's called the trauma bond. That's what that muscle is Ooh, called. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What would be some good questions? Let's say you are single and dating, and you have found that you routinely end up going for the narcissist. You, this, mm -hmm. is, this is a pattern on your, on your part. Mm -hmm. What would you tell those people to ask themselves? 
Number one, how many accommodations are you making for this person? One of the things that happens very early in a narcissistic relationship is people accommodate a lot, right? And this is it. This is really sort of, a, for lack of a better term, it's a controversial word. I'm going to say grooming process, right? They're looking to see how many allowances you'll make for them. Like, hey, I can't get to your part of town. Could you drive to my part of town? Or like, hey, do you mind if my friends come along? Or hey, I forgot my wallet a lot. Or whatever it is, you're, they're making... <laughs> Making a you're making a comment. I can't do this weekend, but I could do that night. And you find that people will find that they're, especially if they came from a household where they were raised by a narcissistic parent, they're accommodating more and more and more. It's I'm not saying people need to be rigid and say, absolutely not, I will not come to your part of town. It's pay attention to the pattern. And I think what happens is in the midst of all that dopamine that's happening early in a relationship, it's basically like you're on cocaine. It's not exactly a good time to be making good decisions. Mm. And so in the midst of that adultness, you're not thinking like, I need to slow down. I need to pay attention to what's going on. This is why it's so great to be in therapy when you're first dating someone. If you've got a sharp therapist, like we do the, I do dating deconstruction with my clients all the time. Like we strip down every text. We break oh. it all down. I mean, oh, that every, sounds glorious. <laughs> I mean, by the time we're done, it's amazing. Any of my clients end up in relationships, but, but we really go because my clients have all survived these relationships. So it's the, well, I'll pick up like, ah, oh, it's a lot of accommodation you're doing. What's going on? Did you feel heard? Did you feel seen? And so those are you being talked over? Um, and I also, and this is going to sound a little bit, I don't want this to sound woo woo because it's not, it's very trauma informed. I tell people, pay attention to how this date feels in your body. Do you feel whole? Do you feel fully in yourself? And, and, and one of the indices I use is like, do you feel a little bit taller when you left this date? Like mm. you should feel an inch or two taller when you go home. I like that. Love that. Yeah. I know exactly what that feels like. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've also felt a couple Yeah, of and it shorter. can be a platonic relationship Absolutely. too. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. And that's what I say. After you leave the interaction, do you feel an inch or two taller? Do you feel your head is swimming with some interesting new ideas? And even that new idea is like, yeah, I'm going to go home and do some stuff. Because you're like, or like, I'm just going to do my good night routine and I'm feeling good. The way you sometimes feel after a really great feel-good movie, but you feel that with a yeah. person. But I always say you feel an inch or two taller. And if you're not feeling an inch or two taller after you spend time with someone, take them off your hangout list. Like you spend, do the obligatory stuff, but don't seek them out. Ooh, Smart. love that. Okay, what would you say narcissists truly want in a partner? Complete surrender. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That hurt. That one hurt. Because I think a lot of people, a lot of the questions, I'm not going to lie, sounded like almost, I don't want to say justification, but like they were, they might be in it. And it's like, another one is, can narcissists really be healthy and loving partners? It's like, they see the good in the person and they're trying to make it work. These are, I mean, again, without getting too fancy about it, narcissistic relationships are about subjugation, right? So if a person is this insecure, they're so unaware of their inner world, it's almost parasitic, right? They're sucking out the other person's psychology to pump themselves up. So the, you know, relationships serve a very transactional function for narcissistic people to make them look good to make them feel good, to, to get, to, to have, have them be taken care of, this person cooks for them, cleans for them, whatever it may be. But it's a very functional, the, the, the narcissistic person views the other person as an object, not as another human being. And so that's how it works. So initially though, 
when they're trying to win a person over, we call it love bombing, right? That that mm. excitement of, and it's not just whining and dining and fancy vacations. It's intense focus. Mm. It's a person who's leaning in. In fact, a, a friend of mine, Mark Vicente, he called it data gathering, you know, and he was in multiple cults. So he knew from this, right? And he's like, they lean in and they study you and you feel Especially if you've seen, and if you're raised by a narcissistic person, you never felt seen, but to have someone who is so hooked on every word you're saying, they're getting data on you. And what is happening is they're they're storing that up. It's like body snatchers. It is body snatchers, but it's soul snatchers. Rough. I find this scary stuff because they're all amongst us. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we're narcissists. You did say, though, that that narcissists. (laughs) I just had to throw that in there to be fair and balanced. That's all. (laughs) You did say, though, that narcissists can really love their partner or love people. Mm, They love validation. They love the representation of what the person is. It's like I love they love being part of a family. Why? Because it's it's it has a symbolism in our culture, right? We do yeah. things together. I belong to something. We all look good together. It means, you know, people want to do business deals with you because you seem stable. You've got a great family. It's a function. Really, what what does it be to mean to be a parent? It's 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 sacrifice and it's getting in there and it's and it's not getting your needs met and it's not necessarily about what looks good and you love your kids no matter how they go because you just love them. That's not that. Okay, let's quickly touch on other relationships and then we're going to get to tips. Sorry, this is like, there's so much. And you give such a great, concise answer. We just had so many questions. Yeah, do you have like another three hours? (laughs) (laughs) We'll do it again. You know what? I have a book coming out in February. I am going to hit you all up. In January, we'll do it again. Can't wait. Seriously. Okay, so this one did come up a lot. When you work with a narcissist, or worse yet, they are your superior, what Mm -hmm. are some tips? Yeah. Would you say, like, use their weaknesses against them, their Achilles heel against no, them? No, I would oh, no. say doc- document the hell out of everything. It, this is a very mm. real problem of people who work with narcissistic folks. And it is initially people say they'll get caught up in the cult, cult of genius. They know this better than anyone. You know, this, but that's not carte blanche to treat people badly. So... I, I will say, start documenting early and often. You save every email. You save every message. You note that you have timestamps to say these messages are coming in at two thirty in the morning. That's not appropriate in a workplace. That's one thing you really, really pay attention because in a workplace you have a different kind of a um, system you're working in, right? There might be an opportunity. You might again, it's your livelihood, but it's also the um any kind of pushback you're going to have you're going to need documentation that matters much more in, in workplaces so it's document everything mm. um it is also about knowing what's acceptable in a workplace the entertainment and media industries are great examples right i mean we were me too in 2017 really brought up some you know huge to me me too was less a gendered movement and and more of a narcissism movement mm. because i think that a a, a a woman or a non-binary person who is narcissistic would have done equal harm. So mm. I think that that's really what this was about. But until then, the idea of the narcissistic um, studio head or director or something throwing something on a set, nobody would have thought twice about that. He's a creative genius. Like it's all, part of it is knowing what's acceptable in the workplace and what's tolerable. 
it, and so you're, you're, those things are really important to be on top of. Like once you start seeing that stuff, it's really, really important to be aware that that's not okay. It's not taking meetings alone, you know, to the degree things can be put into writing because they will promise you something. Narcissists do a lot of future faking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. After we close that deal, we're absolutely have a new role for you. Okay, great. Can I get that in writing? Because mm. I feel more comfortable. And they'll often push back on that. What? You don't trust me? Uh. So, you know, and so you'll get into a lot of that kind of backing and forthing. They do a lot of triangulation. So they turn people against each other in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Lots of workplace gossip, lots of innuendo. Did you hear about Andy? You know, like, oh, you may not want to work that closely with him. So and so, true. you know, so they start pushing that person out. You're not even aware of what's happening. But, it, but what the triangulator has all the power because they're the ones sort of pulling all the strings and into that end it's really important to have collegial relationships with the healthy people around there that helps break through some of that and what we know from the research is when people work with tyrannical narcissistic abusive bosses if they have good relationships with amongst their colleagues that can actually be very protective Ooh, okay. Oh my God. Sorry. Oh, I, I feel like I have to yeah. go because I, sometimes when we start getting down to the wire, I'm like, oh, I can shed those questions, but I can't with these. So when, okay, let's say you talked on the triangulation. Let's say you see the people around you enabling this narcissist's behavior. Yeah. They're buying into it. They're yeah, fully you. drinking the Kool-Aid. Do you try? Is it worth it? Is it even possible to make them see the light or is it not worth it? The enablers? Yeah, the others. It's a great question. Not always. You got to remember that narciss narcissistic workplaces are notoriously inequitable. So there are some people who are really riding a gravy train there. And the narcissistic boss is not dumb. They've got people they'll overpay or offer, offer other perks to for that kind of loyalty and to shut down dissenters. And so those people are not messing up their game because you think that the boss is not a nice person. And, and this is why that narcissistic people are often able to act in this sort of si this silent way for so nobody's saying anything for so long because there's this complicity. And because mm -hmm. of that complicity, you're like, well, this person wasn't complaining and that person wasn't complaining. And so there is it, it's hard to crack through the enablers. That's why I'm saying the documentation matters because people will want to convert people over. But you have to be so careful. Narcissistic workplaces are almost like a cloak and dagger kind of place. People are constantly sticking knives. They're looking for intel. The narcissistic boss, because of the triangulation, has people paying attention to what people are saying. And so mm. you have to be very careful in those allyships. And it's a... Um, and it, it, in because people have often sunk themselves thinking I can break through. I'm going to show them how bad this this really is. And most and you got to remember, workplace bullying is often not against the law unless it really gets into protected categories of people, unless it results in a loss of income, loss of title. But if a person's not losing any of those things and it's not going into that area, work there's no there's no legal stoppages to workplace bullying, which is why it has to get really, really bad before yeah. anything can happen. And by then people have endured incredible psychological harm. Yeah, I think I think um, narcissistic leaders often use fear as yeah. a tool to uh -huh. create complicity because no one wants to be the one because the, the, mm -hmm. the punishment you're going to get is so severe mm. and so never ending. 
And you've got to keep in mind too, in, in some industries, people may have worked a long time to get that job. They may have gone to medical school. They may have been, you know, paid their dues for years in a difficult industry like media or film or television. They may have worked their way up the ladder in a law firm. So they've knocked themselves out. And now they're thinking, do I want to blow up everything to make this point? That's often why some people will feel like, I, and this is there, it could be they're waiting to get a, I don't know, like a, when, when a company goes public or some kind of payout or be vested in a company or get long-term benefits, whatever it may be, sometimes people take, a, and understandably so, a very survivor-oriented kind of a mindset. And they know, mm -hmm. to your point, Andy, is that they know that that narcissistic leader will come for them and mm -hmm. may poison the well against them, against everyone, may do harm to their reputation. And that gets to be a really hard thing to prove. Yeah. So Don Draper, anti-hero or narcissist? Anti Don Draper is a total narcissist. Okay, just checking. See, <laughs> you know, so question. funny. For the longest time, because I, I loved Mad Men, I thought Mad, I thought Don Draper was the most pristine example of mm. a television narcissist. Then I watched Succession, and, oh. and, and Don and Don Draper felt like I don't even know what. Yeah, he's you like know, an he apostle. Like, yeah, exactly. No, that, what, and, what Succession was probably the best. The best depiction of narcissism I yeah. have ever mm. seen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to quickly touch on tips and then we're going to let you go. Mm -hmm. The basic rules of thumb for handling a narcissist. So the, the basic rules for handling a narcissistic person are number one, disengage. Like you got to keep your distance. I often give people a very simple, easy technique called don't go deep and don't go deep. Deep stands for don't defend, don't engage, don't explain, and don't personalize. So it means just don't get into it with them. So they're saying you never this and you never that. You're like, you had an experience. I got you. I got to go. You know, it's one of those. <laughs> You know, right. it's that. So yeah. it's no defending, no explaining. And then the don't personalize is big because what they're doing to you, they do to anyone. You're an object to them. This is not about something wrong with you. A lot of people say, well, maybe if I was more, no, it's not you. You are an object. That would be like my water bottle saying like, well, are you going to choose me again tomorrow? I don't know if you're around, <laughs> I guess it's an object. So that, that my point is that they interact with people as though they're a water bottle or a toaster or a coffee machine. So it's not personal. It feels personal, but it's not about a lack in you. So don't defend, don't engage, don't explain, don't personalize. So so, so isn't your advice just to completely ghost them, no matter how- Not necessarily. You can't. Okay. I think the reason I can't give that advice is it's not always possible, right? Okay. So if this is your co-parent and you're parenting minor children- this is a family member and you actually like other members of the mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. This is a colleague in a large workplace where you can't not interact with this person because you actually do like the job and they're the only difficult person there. I mean, the list goes on of people we have to interact with. And, and if so, there is, but if there is the option to ghost, you should take it. If you can go, it's called no contact. And if you okay. can go no contact, great. So in other words, it's a person that doesn't have a lot of other satellites around them and meaning that you can make a clean break. Let's say you dated someone for a year and a half. You didn't have, you didn't have kids. You don't yeah. even have shared stuff. That's a great ghost. Okay. And there's, and you'll only benefit from that. Anyone who's ever gone no contact from a narcissist felt better in the long term, but it's just not an option available to most people. Mm -hmm. So even when the narcissist is shifting blame elsewhere, just don't engage. Correct. I only ask because it came don't up a lot. Yeah. Do not even. So when they say, you know, this is your fault for doing the this and not doing the that. None of that's true. So you're defending a delusion. Right. right. It's like defending a flat earth person. No, look, here's a globe. 
you know, and they're not going for Good it. Luck. Right? It's pointless. So it's like, it's, it's no different. So when you try to hit back on a narcissistic person with the evidence, as it were, look, here's the, here's the memo of the day and the, this and the, that they're not listening to the truth. They live embedded in this sort of artificial construction of reality because it allows them to get through the day. So you're getting into, again, think of it as showing a globe to a flat earther. It's just going nowhere. How can one tell if they are a narcissist? Ask yourself, do I care about what other people are experiencing? Maybe not all the time. I mean, certainly you may not like every single person who's suffering around you. You, you may not care deeply about, but, you know, do I have empathy, true empathy? Do, am I aware of how my behavior affects other people? And do I care about what other people are going through? Um, do I do you genuinely believe you're special and the rules don't apply to you? This is where it gets really interesting with rich folks, because people who grow up with enough money for a long enough time become really entitled, right? They be, I should say they become, they're very privileged. Mm -hmm. They're used to walking into the front seat in the airplane. They're used to the big hotel suite. They're used to not walking in line, waiting in line. They're used to getting seated right away. So they lose their minds when those things ha don't happen or they're less than graceful. And there's that. But privilege isn't always narcissism, right? The privileged person might get a little prickly, but then we'll say, OK, we didn't make a reservation. I'm going to have to accept that. You know, they might get a little bit priggish and say, well, we do need her a lot. But if they can kind of keep it together <laughs> that, you know, but so it, just being entitled doesn't make someone narcissistic, but, you know, are, do you genuinely believe the rules don't apply to you? You're, you're, and it really means a person has to sit with themselves in a very self-reflective way. And that's the challenge. Narcissistic people, by definition, are not self-reflective. So it's a very difficult, it's like a navel gazing that goes nowhere because they can't gaze inward. Is there such a thing as a benevolent narcissist? Like someone who just has, you know, your basic narcissist-like narcissistic tendencies, but actually does good deeds, maybe they work for a charity, they're nice to people, they occasionally get in annoying fights with their significant other, but are for the most part, they're super, super self-absorbed, super vain, but also very good people. Does okay, that so exist? Yes, so there's something called, this so-called benevolent narcissist you talk about actually has a name and they're called communal narcissists. This is a formulation that actually some researchers in Germany developed back in 2012. The communal narcissist can actually be very charitable, like to do good deeds. They post about the good deeds because they need to be validated. About the <laughs> Not anonymous. Deeds, it's you okay. know? It's Never okay. anonymous, right? <laughs> so they'll do these sort of humanitarian things, lots of pictures. Look at me. They're looking real cute at the trash pickup kind of thing. <laughs> they are... Um, the, the the challenge is, though, by definition, so they may do these benevolent things, but they may be sort of mean to the other trash pickup volunteers or not mm. really nice to their spouse or not really nice to their kids. So and this is a tough way to grow up because these are often sort of the so-called pillars of the community. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, you're so lucky. Your parent was so involved in the community. And the kid's like, this is the most abusive, horrible person. No. They were so mean to us. So I think by definition... The narcissistic person isn't benevolent, but some may do all these good deeds and it confuses people I'm like, oh my gosh, they raised a hundred thousand dollars for this, or they give time every Saturday. I'm like, great, you know, okay, but they're still being very unkind to this other person. And I, I feel bad for the other person they're being unkind to, right? Or they're, right. They're their spouse, or it could be the other volunteers, or they'll say, Nope, it has to be my way. Or I bet I need to have a parking lot. At, I need to have my own parking space at the soup right. kitchen. It would be that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Or they will get really... <laughs> 
they'll get really mad on Instagram if they're doing their volunteer thing and not enough people give money. Like they'll say, mm. I put up this fundraising thing and what is wrong with you? I wanted to raise $10,000. You are the worst people I've ever met. I'm like, so very charitable. So I would say that there are, that's why I'm saying it's on a continuum. And what I call the milder, more superficial narcissists are your more vapid, eternally adolescent, emotionally stunted people. Mm. Actually, it's good to have a few of those mild narcissists. They're great to have at a party. They have like, <laughs> um, They dress up, you know, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want to do a whole vacation with them, but a night out. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's it's like, it's like going to dinner with a podcast. They talk about themselves all night, having a nice time. They're sparkly. Yeah. You go home. <laughs> not our podcast not your podcast no it's like they're they're a podcast like they only talk about themselves oh, okay. so yeah, if you yeah. care about what they're talking about you just sort of take your you're along for the ride okay final question and then i swear we're gonna let you go i love that you have the healing program on your website mm -hmm. but anyone listening to this who is maybe currently extricating themselves from the situation or want to what would you say are some first steps they should take mm -hmm. towards healing so I'd say, you know, the, the first steps are if you are stepping, if, if again, healing is not predicated on leaving, healing is healing. Sometimes people heal and they have daily contact with the narcissistic person. It's that moment when you realize I am not engaging with this anymore. Some people stay married because they, because of, you know, family court is a deeply unfair place and they don't want to go through the put put themselves through that. You know, some people continue to take care of the narcissistic elderly parent. So I really want to highlight that it's, it's really that healing begins the day you recognize it and say, this isn't about me. I'm not engaging with this anymore. It's the, it's about radical acceptance. This is not going to change. It's not. And whatever amount of change there is, is not going to be enough to make your life easier in this relationship. They may, I don't know. They may end up saying, I'll come home for dinner on time one day a week. Okay, sure. Is that, is that progress? Mm -hmm. Or they may not curse at the coach at the soccer game. So the progress is still, you're dealing with all the other ickiness. So it's just usually not enough to make a difference. So I think it's having radical acceptance and realistic expectations if you're going to stay in it. But if you leave, hell hath no fury like a narcissist scorned. Mm -hmm. They get mad. They do not like being left. So in the mm -hmm. most severe cases, we can see frank post-separation abuse, which can be stalking, menacing, reputational harm, social media posts, mm -hmm. um, cameras, the little, those little disky Apple things in your car, all of all that stuff is, it can happen. And so mm -hmm. people have to be prepared for that. And so think tools like therapy, if it is getting severe, working with a local domestic abuse program, they sometimes have some insights into this. If it's not that severe, which in most cases it's not, still having therapy, support. That's why we have the healing program. So there's actually a place where this is the focus. Everyone's kind of going through some version of this. But they, but I believe 1,000% in the capacity to heal after these relationships. But they do change us. And there's yeah. always, it's almost like getting a bad injury on your knee. Sometimes you're going to have trouble going up the stairs. Your soul will always ache a little bit because for whatever moment in time, somebody was not able to see all of who you were and it significantly shaped who you are. And that, and that stays with us. We feel like imposters for a lifetime when we've been through narcissistic abuse and that wound doesn't quite go away, but it can heal and survivors are doing remarkable, remarkable things. Wow. So oh. I believe in that. 
What a beautiful mm. way to end a yeah. very intense rapid fire interview. Dr. Romani, thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much. This I mean, really great. we had, look at this. Yeah, you did it all. You got them all down. You got a hundred, 100, 100. 100%. You got A great. plus, plus, plus. Thank you so much for thank joining you. us. It's my pleasure. And thank you. Any, thank you. Anyone, I mean, literally the podcast is called Navigating Narcissism. So, narcissism. Yeah. So, I yeah. feel like this is a good teaser. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great okay. one. Thank See you. Again. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Oh, oh. That was amazing. <laughs> that was what I had hoped for. Yes. It same. Yeah. You know what I loved is how she could get to the root of yeah. the answer. Like she had great examples, but it wasn't too much fluff. No, it was just answers. Yeah. It was like, it was like one plus one is two. Yes. It was not like one plus one. Well, yeah. And there's all these caveats to my yeah, answer. Yeah. No, she actually was remarkably caveat free. I yeah. found, do you know what I mean? Like there wasn't that much in the way of like, well, in certain cases it's like, she was very black and white about it. Actually. You know what I, you know, those, those games were like, like mortal Kombat or something where you just have like these really random different people fight each other. Yeah. I would love to see her it locked in a room for like five hours with a, uber narcissist oh totally and she has to engage let's think of what like logan paul <laughs> <laughs> whoa 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 fellow youtuber <laughs> take it easy i mean no i'm just trying to think i mean i don't yeah, know jake paul maybe more but no but, but <laughs> no offense they're both great both fantastic uh, to be honest i, I are they brothers they're, they're <laughs> yes, they just they why just is jake paul brothers. the worst one Oh, I just feel if 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 I had to hang out with one of them, I would I would pick Logan over Jake. Isn't Logan the one that boxed? Yeah, but Jake boxes more. Oh. Yeah, they both box. Logan boxed Mayweather, which was a ridiculous fight. But first of all, I mean, that was, <laughs> can I talk for a second? I know this has nothing to do with this. Yeah, yeah. He's literally 80 pounds heavier than mm-hmm. Mayweather naturally. Yeah. He's like 25 years younger than him. It was a stunt. Him. He's working his ass off all day long. He's actually not a terrible boxer. And Mayweather still could his ass. And that was, that was absurd. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, is that, yes, um, an extreme narcissist in a fight with her, I bet you he loses or she. Yeah. I, you're, you're right. Mortal Kombat. And her moves, the other person is like their, their moves are like insults yeah, and yeah. like blame shifting and all these things to like mess with them and her superpower yeah. is being like is is like it all bouncing off her. yes you know you know and you know what the finish him is what is the narcissist cries <laughs> yeah i would pay to to play that game yeah me too yeah all right okay anyway, she was unbelievable she was great. oh my god and you, you know what it, there, I was both very depressed and uplifted during that because the depressing aspect of it was like these humans, like you you think all humans like have a real choice in life. I know there are some people who are born with just their like minds are just destroyed, but they're these narcissists are sort of living in the gray zone. You know, it's like they're humans, but they follow this playlist that is so repetitive and so similar in every case. Yeah. Like it's like that. You ever see Airplane, the movie Airplane? Yeah. Like anyway, no, you find that movie funnier than I do. It's a, from my generation. It's, okay, a, but it I, was, it's funny and it was very funny back then. Okay. okay. It's a revolutionary movie. Anyway, the point is the pilot eats this poison fish and there's a doctor there and he's telling him if he had eaten the fish, what the symptoms were. And as he's listing the symptoms, the guy's having each symptom he lifts off. So he's like, you know, you're foaming at the mouth and he starts foaming at the mouth. And he's like, you know, then you have uncontrollable flatulence and he starts farting and then he like, you know, you have convulsions. Anyway, I read up because I ran into a couple of rough narcissists, as you probably know. Mm. And I read up 
on narcissism, like the list, the top 10, these are the 10 things and narcissists. And I was like, it was so predictable. Every single one was exactly right. Yeah. And it's just so depressing to me to think that there are all these people walking around that like almost they have no choice. They're just like kind of, I don't want to, you know, malign them too much, but they're kind of like monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Soulless monsters. And yeah. it's very scary to think it's not even the behavior, like bad behavior you see all the time. And that's just upsetting. But to think that a human is programmed for bad behavior, no matter what the situation, it's like programmed. They have no choice to me is very depressing, mm. but it's also uplifting to know that there are like seers like yeah. this, like yeah. someone who can navigate through this. And someone's like, it's okay. Like, this is what it is. Yeah. Like, don't be so scared of the monster. This is what the monster is. This is what they eat. This is what kills totally. them. This is how to avoid them. Oh, I'm we reminded, know this monster. I have a, a Zelda or a video game reference, which is like when there's a big bad guy, you need to like track its moves. So you can't, yeah. you know, you're so much smaller and weaker than the big bad guy. You've got to time your attack and like go for the Achilles heel. Yeah. And like, you can't just go in guns blazing and just no. try to fight it the normal no. way. No. And yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, video game. I've sometimes wondered if it's... I don't mean to give any sympathy here, but if it's if it's hard or sad being a narcissist, like lonely, do you know what I mean? Like it's. I've often hoped that it is, <laughs> because it's the one retribution you have. Yeah. Like what else? Imagine if all narcissists are super happy. They wake up every morning. They feel great. Yeah. Like what? Like they're hurting the world and they're just winning. It's very upsetting. Like you want there to be some punishments. Some I guess justice. maybe that's why I think about that a lot. Is because I. I cannot help but but think that it, they have to be deep down. You know, it is deep insecurity, right? It is a lack of self-awareness. It's all these things that you would think deep down, like to not know yourself, to be so insecure, to need validation that badly. That is the saddest existence yeah. I can imagine. Well, Surely it's hard. I don't know. I, I would like to think that some of these people are deeply miserable, but what I really think it is is that they, the self is so important. Their, their whole life is about preserving the self, their image of their self. Yeah. Like it cannot be tarnished. Mm -hmm. And they spend all their energy doing that. So if there ever is a moment of weakness where like their self has been wounded in some way, like they feel bad about themselves, they immediately, I think, replace that with extreme anger. Yeah. And they lash out. Mm -hmm. So there's no time for them to sit to with really it. They won't allow the themselves to be there. They'll just go from like, you know, happy to suddenly wounded and in a split second, yeah. furious. When she said the shame, they'll feel shame, yeah. but they never sit with it enough. Right. It, it instead gets funneled into something else. Yeah. They're not like, oh man, I'm a bad person. I really <laughs> suck. They're like, you, it's your fault. You suck. You made me do this. That's fascinating about the billionaire. Uh. At the end of the day, he's, he, he's hurting fewer people with that arrangement. Yeah. Paying someone to have sex. Absolutely. Set free. The, your wife set free your mistress or whatever like set free these people who are probably now desperately trying to you heal. know what that reminded me of first of all he's helping the economy too so it's a win-win <laughs> for everybody but that reminded me of these serial killers who tell who turn themselves into the police they all they want to do is kill another person mm -hmm. and they overcome that they go to the police they say you have to put me in jail right now mm. and that's happened that's happened many yeah. times. You hear about this. They're like, put me in jail or I'm going to kill somebody else. Or when they get arrested, they're like, thank God. You know, you finally yeah. got I me. wasn't going to be able to stop myself. Yeah. And I, they still want to kill people in prison till the day they die. They want, they think about it. They're like, I wish I could kill someone, but I'm happy I'm here. If, if anything, honestly, in that situation, you got to give them credit 
because they somehow overcame that overwhelming evil. Yeah. And they said, you know what? I'm going to take the high road and force myself to not be able to be myself. Oh. oh. Uh, uh. That's a low bar for credit. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Good job. Uh, I mean, you're not totally wrong. If you wrong. get dealt a bad hand in life, it's harder to be good. Like you have to give more credit to the people who get dealt a bad hand. And that's why, you know, to some degree, I know some people who are like mildly narcissistic. And look, the fact is, we probably have some shandies. There's no question One we have shandies five. from mildly narcissistic, One if not five. majorly. And we probably have, there's got to be a couple of flat earth shandies, right? At least a couple. Oh, statistically. it's impossible. No, it's impossible. Maybe one. Is there? Is there a one? No, I think the shandies. Do we have a flat earther? <laughs> I, oh, I know we do. They're not going to say it though. They're like, oh, now I feel bad about being a flat earther. <laughs> Getting shamed on your shandy. <laughs> That's the final straw. No, I think the trolls. The, the trolls. trolls, yeah. The trolls, but like, I don't want She wanna, said all trolls are narcissists. All, yeah, that was- I, I was she, very validated. She used very like me over the top things. I like that. But I want to say to all our potential narcissists, I don't, I don't want to- Sorry, I'm laughing because you're struggling to say narcissist. Narcissist. You're, you're saying narcissist. Narcissist. <laughs> this is narcissist. Okay. It's all our narcissists. <laughs> okay. But no, seriously, the narcissists out there- who may be listening, like we're not vilifying them. I, I feel bad for them. And I, and I, and I want them to know that this is not, we're not like these people are just useless monsters. They obviously were given a bad hand, but the thing is, this is the thing mm -hmm. in life. I've, I've thought about this at length. Yeah. When do you blame someone for something? How do you, what does it take to blame a human being for being the way they are? Because you can blame it on everything that has nothing to do with them, whatever that is. You can blame it on their genetics. You could blame it on their parents. You could blame it on the neighborhood they grew up in, their income level. You could blame it on the kids they went to school with. You can blame it on everything. Yeah. And so does that mean we just let every single violent criminal free? Like, it's not your fault. You know, you-, you Yeah, or you know, non-violent. I mean, this yeah, is anybody. emotional abuse a lot of the time. Do we let everybody a lot of the time. white collar criminal, yeah, yeah. violent criminal, like- Emotional abusers, robbers, domestic abusers, yeah. Domestic yeah. abusers, murderers. Do we let them all free because somewhere down the line for genetics or environment, they it was not their fault? No. We have to blame them. And yeah. I think that people are like, well, I'm a narcissist because my parents were this and that. It's like- I'm sorry, no you got a bad that, hand. No, I'm saying that though. You're assuming that the narcissist is aware they're a narcissist, but that takes such a level of self-awareness in the first place that most of them are not willing to do. When she talked about people who actually get diagnosed, like how few narcissists are first going to therapy to get diagnosed? Well, that's a great point. The question is, are the narcissists who are listening now like, <laughs> yeah, fuck those narcissists. They suck. <laughs> huh? Oh, man. This was so satisfying. You know, I was really, I, I really put off this topic because I wanted her. Yeah. I wanted her for a long time. Honestly, when yeah. we talk about like collector's cards, yeah. we talked about how Dr. Honda was like, Honda. A, was a, she was like one a, of the yeah, final a remaining. Ken Griffey rookie card. Yeah. We, you, know, you know who Ken Griffey is, right? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I like said, that. yeah, but I, I didn't know. know. That's, you know that, you know what that is? That's bad behavior. What? I'm going to stop doing that. It's Same for thing. my enjoyment that you know nothing about sports, which is great. I love that you know nothing about sports. Okay. I mean, I know a couple of tennis players and now boxers because of you. I'm more interested in single player sports. I am too. Personally. I've lost yeah. interest in team sports. Yeah. Well, for me, only tennis and boxing now. Okay, what was your point about 
Oh, the, the trading cards. Oh, yeah. Ke- Honda was like a Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, rookie. Yeah. And she's up there. I mean, she's like, you've bought a thousand cereal boxes hoping for that one card and you yeah. finally got it. Finally got it. Yeah. I feel like Dear Shandy has made it. That's it. We're done. <laughs> it's about us. <laughs> Our business is, is complete. Yeah. Wow. She was fantastic. I, I mean, I hope the Shandys are helped by this one because yeah. when we got questions in droves for this it made me sad yeah and i and i saw myself in a lot of them because i myself we both have i have fully extricated myself from a friendship like that yeah i'm like likewise yeah but you know and i and i just saying that some narcissists are watching this or listening to this but really the reality is is that the vast majority of people listening whether they're listening because of the topic or not have been the victim of narcissists. Yes. Yeah. And that is that I'm sorry, excuse my French. Anyone with kids in the car and you know, silence. Okay, and three, <laughs> two, one. Beep. That shit fucks you up. Ooh, nice. Beep. Shit. Okay, we're, we're rolling again. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I loved how she talked about coming home and feeling an inch or two taller. Mm-hmm. This particular friend I'm talking about, I would come home and feel smaller. I'd feel less worthy. I'd feel just like ever so slightly shitty about myself. And I would also have that film on me you have when you feel dirty from engaging in so much shit talking because that's the only way to hang out with that person. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. you The, the times that I've spent, the real times I've spent with extreme narcissists, and I've had a, the misfortune of a couple, I felt bad about myself like i was a bad person and i felt bad about myself that i was a shitty like i was a worthless person yeah like they made me feel bad about myself and i felt bad the way i was as a person yes, they the brought way I acted out, with them they brought out the worst in you yeah. that's how i felt about this particular person yeah. i didn't like myself with them and that's reflected in how i came home and you know like she said like you're you're not like oh i'm gonna go do things i would come home and just feel like yeah. gross like i needed to take a shower yeah, I don't know. What what happens at the end of the earth? You just they think you just fall off? Is that what the flat earth is? I never understood that. So in the latest Zelda, <laughs> oh. Tears of the Kingdom, yeah. in the sky world, there it's a lot of these like just flat surfaces up mm. in the sky, and it's just waterfalls just drip down. Yeah, but 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 they drip down onto a, the actual earth. <laughs> yeah, but that's a video game. <laughs> We actually have the luxury of living on Earth in real life, I hope. Yeah. And why has no one ever fallen off? I had no idea the flat Earth thing was going to come up so much in this conversation, but I'm so glad it did. I'm glad, too, because I want to get to the bottom of this. Why do people... The plane goes around the Earth. You're in a plane going around. Why don't you see the edge? There's no way Shandies are flat Earthers. Our There's one. Are, come, no. Uh, okay. Be, no, our shandies are too smart. There's one flat Earth. I will admit there might be narcissistic shandies, but there's no flat Earth shandies. I'm betting one flat earther. Okay, well, Tell show yourself. Reveal yourself, flat earth shandy. <laughs> you know what's going to happen? They're going to be wise asses and everyone's going to call and say they're flat earther. <laughs> if I know my shandies, I know what you're up to. We have to have her back in February. No, yeah, yeah, we do. I can't wait to find out what her book is about. I want to have, I almost want to have her back like on a monthly <laughs> Quarterly. basis. Yeah. <laughs> Just check in. Yeah. Okay. If you enjoyed what you heard today, you know what we will ask of you. And that is to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Leave us Apple and Spotify. Podcast ratings and reviews. Tell your friends. 
and generally do all the things you would do to support a podcast you enjoy. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Dear Shandy. Bye-bye.